God of suffering and glory. In Jesus Christ, you reveal the way of life through the path of obedience. Inscribe your law in our hearts that in life we may not stray from you, but may be your people. Amen. Amen. I'd like to read from Psalm 51. Psalm 51, verses 1 through 12. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that place. So cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be made clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. But restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. We'll go ahead and leave it at that with Psalm 51. Um, really beautiful and powerful words that we generally attribute to David after he's uh, confronted with his mess, <laughs> with, with his junk and, and with his stuff. And so it's a really raw and honest passage of Scripture. So as, as we continue on in our time together, um, we have a few songs that will be led in that we'll be invited to uh, participate with um, in singing or humming or just listening, whatever, whatever you'd like to engage with this morning. Um, and then as, uh, as those songs begin, our Reachway kids are going to be uh, dismissed to head out with uh, Cassie for their time together. So let's pray and then we will uh, continue to worship together. Lord, thank you for this chance to be together, and we would just ask that as we engage with these different elements of music and the scriptures and of prayer and, and consideration um, and, and contemplation on the word, that, that you would speak to us, that it would be your grace and mercy that is seen and felt and experienced today. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we spend some time in prayer together, I'd like to read a passage from the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is in the New Testament. Um, 
A little unclear on who the author is, but it helps us get a little bit more insight into um, how Jesus was seen and, and referred to and talked about in, uh, in you know, kind of way back when, when Jesus had his ministry. So I'll be reading out of uh, Hebrews chapter 5, starting at verse 5. This, once again, we just get some really cool insights into how Jesus was seen in, in the time and place that Jesus found himself and how he was talked about and how he was referred to. So Hebrews chapter 5, starting at verse 5. It says, in the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, you are my son, today I've become your father. And in another way, he says, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. We'll go ahead and stop there as we enter into this time of prayer where we create space for us all um, to lift up the things that are heavy on our hearts, whether things that have to do with us in our households or um, things that you might know about, friends and other family members that you might have or, or neighbors or maybe things that you're seeing play out before you in the world, whether it's locally or in our nation or somewhere else on the planet, we really do create space for us to be able to um, lift those thanksgivings, lift those petitions, lift those prayers um, up to God. As we just read, Jesus did that. Um, we, we read that Jesus does this with tears and with, with um, cries, cries meaning like, you know, we, what we maybe call like yelling, right? Or even like, uh, you know, just really strongly communicating um, the things that, are, that were on Jesus's heart. So I'll introduce us in this time of prayer with a short written prayer, and then I'll pause and be still so that we can all pray um, just where you're at. And then we'll have this time where I'll I'll read off these small phrases of kind of specific requests to our day and time. And after each phrase, together we will say, Lord, hear our prayer, just as a way for us all to be unified in those petitions. Um, there's pieces of paper here up front, and um, we, we offer that as um, a place where as you arrive, with different things on your heart, um, if you'd like those to be mentioned during that, Lord, hear our prayer time, then, then you're welcome to write those things down, and I'll grab it like I did here, um, and we will just continue to commit to pray um, for those things, uh, for those things that you all uh, write down on that paper. You don't need to leave your name on it or anything like that. Um, so with those things in mind, 
Let's go ahead and pray together. Sisters and brothers, as Jesus, in the days before his passion, offered prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears, let us pray for those who suffer. Let us pray for those who are in need. And let us pray for those who seek reconciliation. Lord, we ask that you would bring strength and courage to those who are working in health care and education and other fields that are being stretched during this pandemic. Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, we ask that you would be with those neighbors of ours who are unhoused and, and do not have homes of their own to come and go from. Lord, hear our prayer. We ask, Lord, that you would be with those who are serving day in and day out those people who are unhoused, trying to keep them healthy and trying to find them shelter to live in. Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, we ask that you would provide a way for JT to find employment. Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, we ask that you would be with Wyatt and those who are serving him as he is in the hospital. We ask that you would bring healing, that you would bring comfort to Wyatt and, and those who serve him. Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, we ask that you would be with Sasha as she quickly approaches um, the long-awaited and expected birth of her child. We, um, we are excited. We know she is as well. We just ask that you would bring comfort, that it would be a smooth um, process that um, results in healthy new life. Lord, hear our prayer. God of compassion, you know our faults, and you still promise to forgive. So keep us in your presence and give us your wisdom. Open our hearts to gladness. Call dry bones to dance and restore us to the joy of your salvation. Amen and amen. If you'd like to follow along, um, I'll just be reading a couple of verses out of the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, starting at verse 31. Um, we get a series of books in the Hebrew Scriptures, which we refer to as the Old Testament. Um, these uh, prophetic books, and we, we say that because the, the people, people whose names are attached to these writings were considered prophets. 
Jeremiah is one. A lot of times, especially during Advent, as we're led up to Christmas, we read from Isaiah, who is another prophet, but uh, there are plenty in the Hebrew Scriptures. Um, prophets were generally known for um, being commissioned by God um, to say things that people didn't want to hear, but that they needed to hear. <laughs> um, and I'm sure that we all in our lives have had a voice or two uh, like that for at maybe at least a season where um, we didn't want to hear what we were hearing, but we knew that we needed to. Um, that's what the prophets were and still are for us today. And so we're just going to be reading a couple of verses out of Jeremiah 31, starting at verse 31. The idea of covenant is going to come up again, which we've talked about a few times over the last couple of weeks. And we'll read about uh, a covenant once again this morning. So this is what it says in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. The days are coming, declares the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after that time. I will put my law on their minds, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord." And we'll go ahead and, and stop there. I want to talk briefly about some things that are faithful for Christians to do. You know, a lot of times when we talk about the things of Christianity, of church life, we use the word practices or, or habits or rhythms. These are things like music, uh, engaging with music. These are things like praying. These are things like reading the scripture. For us, these are things like um, gathering around the communion table. These different rhythms, practices, habits um, that kind of make up in a way, they all work together and kind of um, putting a, perhaps you could use the image of a puzzle together of kind of what makes the Christian life and what, what do Christians engage with and, and different things like that. And I want to present a few other things worth considering as we consider our faith and as we consider the different ways in which um, our faith plays out in the world around us. It's, it's kind of a three-pronged approach that, that all at once, and I'll repeat this list, but all at once, Christians are supposed to be in tune with their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, their default incorporation into the global church. What I mean by that is, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you're a part of a global church. It's, it's adoption, right? It's, 
It just happens. This is how it is. And then the third one is our responsibility to steward well the areas of life that we are given access. To understand that every place that we could go, every opportunity that we could have, every person that we could meet, every yard, like piece of grass that we could have to own or to take care of, and some congregations even have facilities of their own like we do, physical buildings, physical plots of lawn, to steward well, understanding that um, we didn't earn them, that they were given to us, but that we are commissioned to care for them and, and to and take good care of them. By my observation, we tend to focus on our personal relationships with Jesus the most. And I don't even really think it's close. <laughs> I, think, I, I think over the last several decades, maybe even a couple of centuries, there's been a, a really heavy focus on um, our personal relationships with Jesus. And when I say we, I mean, I kind of mean like Western Christianity, because I'll tell you that that conversation does not happen in every country in, in the world. Like, we, we should know that, is that personal, individual relationships with Jesus, they're on the list, but they're just not at the top, you know? But I feel like for, for us, it's been at the top for a long time, and that's not good or bad. I think it's just how it is. And then I think sometimes we really do consider our incorporation into the global church. I, I really do think that we do that. A lot of times churches are known for um, being engaged with like missionary work, like whether it's physically going to other places in the world to serve others, or whether it's just praying uh, for, for different works that are happening all over the world. I think we do get a sense that we are part of a global church sometimes, although we maybe don't talk about it a lot. But I'll say that I, I really am not used to the conversation growing up in, in church myself. I never really ever heard a conversation about something that is equally as true as those two other things. And that is that we have been given things by God to take care of. That's the word stewardship. This is what I call uh, page one stuff. Genesis chapter one, Genesis chapter two, we see very clearly that God creates humanity in God's image to, the, the word that some translations use is subdue, uh, to, to care for, to have uh, this, this position of um, just caretaker, just responsibility over the plants of the field and the birds of the air and, the, you know, the beasts of the earth and the creatures in the sea and, you know, all those different things we read about. I want to say that the Father created humanity to steward creation, that Jesus, the Son of God, shows us how to do this, and the Holy Spirit empowers us to do this. It was God's design, the Son showed us how, and the Spirit helps us how. It's important to understand this Christian dynamic, once again, our personal relationships with Jesus, 
our incorporation into a global church and our call to steward what we've been given. It's that three-pronged Christian dynamic that is an important one to talk to because it influences greatly how we react and respond to events that happen around us. That's where I'm headed. I know it took me a few minutes to get there, but that's what I want to be here this morning is having a full understanding of that three-pronged approach matters, not because it's important to know it in your brain like with knowledge, right? Like, not because it's important to just like know something new, but because understanding that plays out in how we respond to things that happen around us. And here's an example. Oh, goodness, I'm not, ugh. You never think you're going to have to preach about some things, you know? Last Tuesday evening in Georgia, the state of Georgia, eight people were, the word I written, have written down is senselessly murdered. I would just, there's no, zero sense, you know? Like, senselessly murdered in a supposed act of vengeance for a single individual's inability to control themselves. You, you never think you have to say this stuff from a pulpit. You know what I'm saying? Like, you never think you're going to read this in the paper. This person was convinced that their temptations could only be overcome if they murdered Asian women. Like, I'm just going to say what, you know what I'm saying? Like, there was a single individual that was convinced that the only way for their temptations to be lifted from them is if they got themselves a gun and killed Asian women. Now, if our default responses as Christians to things like that only lead us to make sure that our personal and individual relationships with Jesus are still maintained, then we are completely missing the point of what it means to be a Christian alive on the earth. Once again, back to that, that three-pronged dynamic of being a Christian. Personal relationship, yes, very good, beautiful. Adoption and incorporation into a global church, yes, very good, beautiful. And to be called to steward well what's been given to us, yes, beautiful, very good. But when something happens and our only focus is on maintaining that personal relationship, then we're, then we're just not doing everything that there is for us to do. So I would suggest that when things like what happened this last week happen, um, our faithful response as Christians, because of our personal relationship with Jesus, I'm, I'm, what I want to say is those need to be those do need to be like maintained, right? And those those do need to grow, and those do need to be given care. But it's but we work out of those relationships. Like, those relationships are not the end point. 
but we work out of those relationships. And when things like what happened last Tuesday happen, it needs to prompt us to declare with our words and our deeds that things like violence and murder and racism and white supremacy and things like that are absolutely wrong. Our words and our deeds must show that. It, they must. They have to. In this specific instance, as the church, kind of prong number two, right? We're a part of a global church. We've got brothers and sisters in Christ all over the planet. One way that we can apply a, a faithful Christian response to the events that took place is really not a fun one at all. And it's being confronted with the reality that the murderer was baptized in a local church three years ago. Oh. <laughs> three years ago, this person, people keep calling him a kid. He's a 21-year-old man. Not a kid. Was baptized in a local congregation three years ago, and three years go by from being allegedly a volunteer, newly baptized person to this. As members of a local church here in Peoria, Illinois, we have to realize that for, for better or for worse, right, like kind of the, 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 the covenant we hear at different wedding ceremonies, for better or for worse, right, we have this connection to the behaviors and the decisions that are made by anyone at any church. That stinks in this particular situation. One of our family members, newly baptized, did that on Tuesday night. That's a hit. Like, that, that's, a, that's a tough one to swallow. So why do I say all of this? And what on earth does Jeremiah chapter 31 have to do with any of this? We as individuals, as members of a church, and those that are commissioned stewards of this world, we desperately need the law of God to be written on our hearts. Desperately. De that des it's, it is a desperation type of thing for us to be able to have so close to us, so near to us, so written on us, the law of God. I was really challenged in a conversation I had with a, a fellow pastor of mine who um, is, is trying to work all of these things out himself, right? We're, and, and, and all of you, all of us, we're just trying to make sense of what on earth is, is going on. And I, I talk with him every week. And this week he goes, I think that we've settled in too comfortably with being satisfied with feeling righteous. With feeling it, right? Like, 
with doing whatever we do, going to and from wherever we go to and from, from, and just feel righteous. I do this, that, and the other, and I feel righteous. My, my friend said, I don't think it's enough for us to feel righteous anymore, <laughs> because look at what's happening. <laughs> and he said, I don't think it's enough for us to think we are righteous anymore, meaning I don't think it's enough for our, our soul, our hearts to feel righteous. I don't think it's enough for our brains to convince ourselves that we're righteous. I think we need to be visibly righteous, is what my friend said. And so as pastors, we're kind of challenged with this, with, with that tension of, you know, what's, what's our role as pastors? And by the way, I'm not trying to what's our role as Christians, right? Like, what, what is our role as people of faith? We all go about doing what we're doing. The power of the Holy Spirit lives in you like it does anyone else, right? We all have responsibilities that we carry out as Christians. Are the things that we're doing, are the things that we're practicing, are the things that we're talking about, what is the fruit? Is the fruit feeling righteous? Is the fruit thinking that we're righteous? Or is the fruit, are we being physically and tangibly with our actions righteous, which is patterned by Jesus Christ? Unrighteous behavior is not the fruit of not trying hard enough. This is what I mean by that. Uh, 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 like murder, we're talking about murder. I'm sorry, we're talking about murder. Believe me, I would not, I'd rather talk about something else. Um, that is unrighteous behavior, for sure. But that's not because the person wasn't trying hard enough. It's because the law of God wasn't written on their hearts. That's the reason. If the law of God is not written on someone's heart, then they're going to behave unrighteously. A lot of times we try to fix behavior with more knowledge. You know what I'm saying? Like A lot of times we try to fix stuff out here by putting more things in here. And so we drown ourselves in, and I, I don't want to discredit any of this, what I'm about to list off, but we drown ourselves in like Christian content. We drown ourselves in music. We drown ourselves in devotionals. We drown ourselves in podcasts. We drown ourselves in television shows and books. And we just mound it all on top of us because we believe that if maybe we can get one more ounce of something consumed, then we can be more righteous. And what I want to say is that if there's anything that is going to make us righteous. It's going to be that if the law of God is written on us, I'll tell you that the world right now doesn't need more Christians trying to learn more and argue their way into becoming right.
The world needs more Christians humbling themselves before God, emptying themselves of their predispositions and opinions so that all that's left is a blank canvas for God to write on. Because here's the deal. There is only one people group that has historically believed that the creator of the universe gave them a command to take care of the world. And it's, it's Christians. It's, it's the people of God. It's the only people group in the history of civilization that believe that a deity told them to take care of stuff. Every other deity that could ever be studied or worshipped or followed did it all themselves. That's how every single other deity has ever been viewed by every human that has ever lived, is that the gods do everything. And so it's just left for just me to be a passive human. I go about my life, the gods are going to do whatever the gods are going to do. There's only one God, there's only one people group that believes that that God has a relationship with that people group and gives responsibilities to that people group. And it's the people of God, and we, we tend to call them Christians in our day today. So I say that to say, I remember months ago we talked about what it means to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And I remember saying, be, you're the salt of the earth because someone has to be the salt of the earth, right? Someone's got to do it. And so that's what makes the Sermon on the Mount so beautiful is that Jesus is preaching to the outcasts in that moment. So you're the salt of the earth because they're not. Huh. Now, Pastor Seth, what does it mean for the law of God to be written on our hearts? Um, I don't know. Uh, and I think if I did, then that would be antithetical to the point itself. <laughs> God, God needs to do it, right? How, you know, how do we have God write the law of God on our hearts? Well, I don't do that. God does it, right? And so I think this is where we are really helped by Jesus. We're helped by Jesus in so many ways. But one of the, one of the patterns that Jesus displays is uh, just crying out to the Lord for something that uh, Jesus, Jesus himself doesn't know how to accomplish. We're going to look at these passages in the next couple of weeks. Jesus, Garden of Gethsemane, he's going to die tomorrow on a cross, and he doesn't want to. <laughs> and he doesn't know how to get out of it. And so the only thing that Jesus knows what to do is to pray that, Lord, if it would be your will, get me out of here. That's the Pastor Seth translation of that passage. Get me out of here. But not my will to get out of here, but whatever yours would be, Lord. And that's the posture that I want us to hold as we enter into a new week. As we get closer and closer to the events of the cross, the resurrection, the empty tomb, and things like that, 
Lord, I don't know how to do it, but would you please write your law on my heart? And if that's a prayer that you pray this week, believe me, I am praying it right alongside with you that God would do the same for me. Is that the Lord would be gracious to show me and to show anyone who would pray that this week would be gracious to us to show us what we need to do or stop doing or turn from or turn towards so that the only thing that's left within us is a blank canvas for God to say, I want you to think like this now. I want you to do things like this now. I don't want you to do that anymore. I want you to do this instead. And the reason that it matters, once again, is because it's that behavior and it's that posture that influences outward actions. So every single time that something catastrophic happens that God would never do, God would never say, or God would never want done, it's because the law of God is not being written on people's hearts. What a downer morning. I apologize. The good news that I want to give is that God is gracious enough to give us the Holy Spirit to do it. (laughs) We read in the scriptures that, that what God has initiated, God will carry out and God will be faithful and God will do it. Oh, And that's so good because I find myself being able to do less and less, right? Okay.